Is the book of Acts a how-to guide? I thought it'd be important to clarify a little bit of what I was talking about last week on giving an answer, because I encourage you, and hopefully you did, I encourage you to read the book of Acts in our consideration of the resurrection, because that's the best place that we can look to to see church practice and things like that. However, I do want to clarify that because sometimes what you do have in the study of who the church is and what the church should be doing and those kind of things, that you have this kind of repeated reference back to the book of Acts and say, let's just be like the New Testament church. Let's just be like the early church. Those kind of ideas. And it's basically just mimic what they're doing in the book of Acts and you'll be fine and let's just get away from all the complication that 21st century Christianity offers. The problem with that is that it cuts at the heart of the issue as to whether the book of Acts is descriptive or prescriptive. Is it mainly given to us as a what book, or is it given to us as a how book? I think it's helpful to remember the particular context and writing occasion of the book of Acts, which is part of the two-volume, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Remember, those are written by Luke, and they're meant to be one concept or one tracing of historical progression, first with the life of Jesus and then with the life of the church. In the opening verses, Luke maintains that these two volumes are meant to be, quote, an orderly account so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This gives a clue for the reader's interpretation method or hermeneutic of the book because it signifies that the account is meant to be, by and large, descriptive rather than prescriptive. So it's supposed to be a what book more than it is supposed to be a how book. And this is described well in one example of a commentator referring to the book of Acts, who says, narrative is often indirect in its teaching, and that we should take the shared narrative as descriptive unless specifically told otherwise. And so I agree with that. I think that's right. Since Luke introduces to us in his introduction to the Gospel of Luke, which again is considered right alongside the book of Acts as one purposed writing, since he tells us that it is by and large meant to be a what book and not a how book, an orderly account of things, so that you can have certainty that this is true. So this is an eyewitness testimony account presented to Theophilus, the recipient of the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Since he situates it that way, I agree that we should assume it is descriptive unless explicitly told otherwise. So our mindset in the book of Acts should not be, I'm going to assume unless I'm told not to, to mimic everything I see. It should actually be the opposite. I should only mimic what I'm told to. Okay, so that's not a hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, that really should be our mental approach to 
the book, okay? So we have this same thing playing out all throughout the book of Acts. One example would be Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, and then Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47. In the interest of context, let me actually read those very quickly. Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37, says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, keep that in mind. Now Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, in context of both of those passages, Luke is very clearly seeking to describe to the reader the impact of salvation and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So there is a very clear prescription of imitation in the preceding verses in Acts chapter 2, where the question is asked of Peter, what shall we do? So before this description of what they're doing with their money and their private property and how they're fellowshipping together, all of that is preceded by a question posed to Peter after his sermon at Pentecost, what shall we do? And the answer is, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. A very clear description of the impact of such actions, namely the passages that I just read, follows the same format and should be understood as a side note, as it were, describing the life and community of the disciples, not necessarily a prescription that has a binding command for all Christians at all times. However, viewing this interpretive process as a task to be completed does not limit itself to only descriptions. One example, as Klein states in the book Introduction to Biblical Interpretation, says this, too readily do author or text-based approaches get lost in the ancient world, as if having described the origin and world of a text or identified the text form, we have completed the task. Instead, 
we want to explore what the significance of such descriptions in the text are. And this is in the way that the Holy Spirit provides the work of illumination upon our hearts so that our lives are impacted by the descriptions. Now, what in the world do I mean by all of that? Well, what I mean is, although what's happening in the text is descriptions of the church, not prescriptions or commands for us, it is not as if we have completed our process of interpreting the passage just by saying, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, or this is what, not how. More than that, we have a task of understanding what the significance of that description or descriptions in the book of Acts actually are. What is the significance being told to us? What difference should it make in our lives as readers in the 21st century? Acts 2 and Acts 4, those two passages I read, do not command Christians to sell all of their possessions or eat all of their meals at the church on Wednesday night. But parts of generosity in chapter 4 are contrasted by hearts of greed in chapter 5, which picks up the very next verse. And this naturally causes us to evaluate our motives and intentions as Christians. So Luke writes in descriptive terms, the Holy Spirit seeks to work upon our hearts to shape the unique lives, circumstances, resources that are in front of us so that we can be truly changed and led by the events that are portrayed to us in the book of Acts. That's just one simple example of how to uphold the importance of the book of Acts, even if we're saying it is not a book of prescription for the church to mimic everything that you see there. We're not told to always keep 12 active apostles We're not told to travel to the same places that these people did. We're not told to do the same things that these people did. But that doesn't mean that just because it's not prescriptive, but descriptive, means that it's irrelevant. Or it's simply a matter of understanding historical context and then we're done. But instead, just as that example in Acts chapter 4, when we have this record of generosity and brotherly love among the believers. What happens when you get to that next chapter, Acts chapter 5, when greed sets in, and Ananias and his wife partake in greed and lying and disunity among the church? You see the effect of that narrated to us by Luke as he writes the book of Acts. Now, he purposefully situates the description in chapter 4 with the description in chapter 5. And although they're both descriptions, they both have a very real historical lesson for us as readers in the 21st century. So the book of Acts primarily is descriptive, not prescriptive. But yet, the relevancy and the usefulness for it in our lives is of utmost importance on every page.